people my age grew up hearing a very similar story on how to succeed in their own personal lives. You work hard at school, you get into university, you get a degree, you get a job, and depending on how hard you work from ages 5 to 23, you've basically decided the outcome of your life. Simply put, work hard now and reap the rewards of this work later. Yet, I was born in 2003, and that means that in the UK alone, I've lived through the Iraq war scandal and the consequences of it, the 2008 financial crisis, austerity, Brexit that followed, COVID-19, and the current 2020 economic crisis that we are all suffering from. But also being from Sudan, I have witnessed the effects of the Arab Spring and the revolutions across Africa and the Middle East and seen dictators be toppled only to be replaced by other dictators that are just as worse, if not even worser. I've also lived through Trump and his tsunami-like effect on how politics is not only talked about and taught, but also how it's practiced and done, seeing a very terrifying shift to the right across the world. The rise of China and the implication it has on the future of capitalism and our socio-economic realities. And I've seen people my age be polarised by these lived experiences, either becoming raging social media political activists fighting against the inherently unjust systems on their iPhones, or in some cases, turning their backs on this liberal agenda that is cancelling everything that they once enjoyed. You see, my generation has been called lazy and ungrateful, but also too idealistic and optimistic, but at the same time we're also sheep lacking the imagination to improve the world without destroying it in the process. We have to think for ourselves and stop following what the mainstream tells us, while also not being too radical and extreme and think about what the normal ignorant people, who we are somehow also a part of because we're not grown enough to understand how the world actually works, will think of our divisive rhetoric and postmodern neo-Marxist bullshit. In the face of all of this, however, in the face of all this raging turbulence across the world's political, economic and social realities, we are also forced to act like everything still works, as if there's a normal that we are supposed to be living. And as we pretend that this reality of normality exists, the mask continues to slip and the institutions and authority figures we were once told knew everything crumble right in front of us and they lose every legitimate claim to power. People my age and across age groups, but specifically in my age, are stuck in a limbo where politics is everything and nothing. Everybody knows what's wrong with the world, but nobody knows what's wrong with the world. Everybody agrees on stuff, but nobody agrees on anything. Ideology is claimed to be rejected, and we live in this free thinking and free world only for ideology to be further embedded into our communities once we actually start questioning ourselves and the beliefs that we have. And in the midst of all of this, I'm expected to do philosophy A-level? Are you fucking kidding me? Why the hell do I have to read about Descartes and meditations while the world is crumbling in front of me? Welcome to the Propaganda Machine, it's your host Mohamed Hassan and today we're going to be talking about my age group and our experiences in the world right now. I refer to my age group as the gaslit generation. The gaslit generation because we live through so much propaganda and so much storytelling about how the world is or how it should be and what we should do to sort of survive in all of it while also having to sort of see the world crumbling in front of all of us. We've lived through once-in-a-lifetime economic crises or political occasions like every week. Every week there's something new occurring that has just never happened before. Breaking news is no longer a term that is even used um, seriously. 
It's just a cynical thing to talk about now. Oh, somebody else has been shot. Another school has been blown up. Somebody else has been killed. Oh, there's another far-right activist going around killing everybody. Oh, look, it's another riot. It almost seems as if our world is just constantly in peril. But then, you know, there's cat videos that remind us that the world here isn't that bad most of the time. Everything's fine is sort of how we sort of react. And I've seen that most materialized through the UK's reaction to COVID-19. The government has been an absolute shambles. It's been terrible. Boris Johnson and his government is accountable for hundreds of thousands of deaths. And that's not an over-exaggeration. They hid 20,000 COVID-19 deaths in care homes that were caused by their malpractice and misuse of people's lives. They put people in danger because they were unwilling to, what, stop the economy? The economy that doesn't even work for most people because people my age particularly are going into a world where you no longer follow that traditional path. Job security is lower than ever for young people. We're alienated by institutions. We're alienated from ourselves because we're forced to compete with everybody and create a brand name for ourselves. And we don't want to play this game anymore. None of us do. And yet we are all forced to, we're all forced to buy into this system, but at the same time rejecting it. It's incredibly paradoxical. But how did we even get here? How did we get to this point where the economic system and the realities of our lives are so explicitly contradictory and yet we don't see any other alternative? I was reading Mark Fisher's Capitalist Realism. And he's known for an amazing start to that book. It's easier to see the end of the world than it is to see the end of capitalism. And I wondered why that was. And he goes into a variety of explanations, talking about how the neoliberal privatization and financialization of the economic sphere, how everything from Thatcherite economics to the inherent capitalist ideology that is spread through its proliferation of the production system, it goes so deep into our subconscious that it seems impossible to do anything except rail against it or just simply accept it. And in the face of all of this, his arguments sort of make sense. Because if we look at the 90s, we saw that there was this, in the West at least, this silent acceptance that capitalism and neoliberal economics was just the way to go. Nobody really said it explicitly except Francis Fukuyama who said that we are now at the end of history and liberal democracy and capitalism because of its, you know, the falling of the USSR has sort of won this war and that despite its contradictions we've sort of reached this end of history where liberal democracy and neoliberal economics is just sort of going to stay put and communism and socialism are these ideas that died in the 20th century. And the left sort of accepted this. You have third way politics, which attempted to merge together the government and the private sector in order to have sort of continued cuts to social programs, but at the same time maintaining this sort of idea that there was a welfare state that was there for some, but only if you needed it, but at the same time it wasn't enough. And it was just a sort of mess, really. But because the economy was, I don't know, working and unemployment was down. People were like, yeah, it's fine. Who cares? And that's sort of the same thing we're having with COVID right now. But there is no economy that is working. 
there is nothing that is working. You can't go outside your house. The world is clearly fucked. And yet we are still sort of just with this meh attitude. We don't understand why things don't work, but that's what it's supposed to be like. The world doesn't work anyway. It's it's so funny to me how everyone sort of experienced this sort of reality where people are like, oh, the world just doesn't work. That's just life's tough, I guess. And I'm like, why is life tough? We've been gaslit as a generation. We've been told to and we have accepted the reality that the world is just like this that as mark fisher said that we can't see the end of this system we could see the end of the world but the system is going to die with it because we can't see a reality beyond this and yet at the same time we are also continually arguing and sort of trying to accept and create this world that is better railing against the injustices injustices in our world paradoxically only seems to perpetuate the system that has these injustices and inequalities in it in the first place because we accepted this sort of world post the 90s this end of history that francis fukuyama was ridiculed for claiming but he silently said what everybody was he said what everyone was silently thinking sorry he said what everyone sort of accepted ah yeah you know that's how the world works now is capitalism we live in a world where you just be a professional, you have to get money or you die. I mean, play the game or die, you know? You can't hate individuals, you know, hate the game, not the player, but we can't change the system if we want to because socialism bad or something like that. The individual has become everything and also nothing. We're all supposed to be brands now instead of being human beings. We've been commodified. And our generation is sort of seeing the extreme of this. Gen Z and millennials have sort of been told that we are crazy people who sort of rail against everything. But I mean, like, have you looked at the fucking 60s? We weren't the first set of young people to do that. But I think it's different from then because back then, I think that there was an overt sort of system that you could rail against. A very clear sort of thing that you could say, this is wrong and xyz reasons and you can do this but that's no longer the conversations we're having anymore racism sexism classism are no longer directly seen but have to be uncovered and require critical thinking and an understanding of the system as a whole but when you live in a world that focuses everything on individuality and individualism it's very difficult to sort of see the system that perpetuates it which is why the liberal left and left-wing sort of movements have been characterized not by their previously claimed to be sort of changing of this system, this revolutionary sort of politics, but rather this sort of hyper-moralization of the individual and what can you do? Green capitalism, for example, Starbucks advertising that if you use one of their cups continuously and you know you don't throw it away you'll help save the environment while at the same time like 20 corporations are the responsible for 75 percent of our carbon dioxide emissions and are destroying the world you know we talk about electric cars while at the same time are drilling new oil plants in the north sea contradictions in our system are no longer sort of just explicit and railed against but they're accepted and it's weird because our generations teams to not know how to deal with any of these things it used to be very simple maybe when there was in a sort of if you look at it from a marxist lens a very clear divide between the bourgeois and the proletariat right 
in the early stages of capitalism. But what capitalism has shown itself to do is it's able to eat itself and come out with brand new paint and brand new look that deceives many people into thinking that what we have is better than before because, I don't know, the stock numbers are up or something. And I don't say that patronizingly, like that's how we look at the world. Oh, the stock numbers are up, so everything must be fine. Oh, unemployment's low, it doesn't matter that people are starving on the other side of the world or that, you know, people are starving in our own boroughs and our own constituencies. Everybody has an iPhone, so it's fine. And I'm not immunized from this. I, of course, play into this system. I mean, I live it. The world has become a contradiction and we've been gaslit into accepting it and yet we don't know how to do deal with any of it. And politics, whew, what has politics become if not just a commodified version of itself? Twitter, social media, Facebook, WhatsApp group chats, everything has sort of become politicized and you sort of get this weird mix of a generation that is super hyper-moralistic, has very strong beliefs, anti-racism, Black Lives Matter protests, anti-misogyny, but at the same time, we forget that there are a lot of misogynistic, racist people that are also very young. And then you also have the people who are very apathetic to politics, who don't care, who are continuing to play the game and play the system and be like, oh yeah, if I work very hard, it will be fine. We're in this limbo where we have all these beliefs and all these systems that are the system that we have to follow, but at the same time, we're also inherently contradictory. That's on the right and on the left. I mean, I'm very against right-wing politics and right-wing out view, but I mean, the reason why they are being so sort of peripheral and continuing to rise in popularity is because young people are being told that the world is fine and that the liberal agenda has sort of worked and we sort of reached the place where the world's not longer racist anymore because we've gotten rid of these clear institutions and the world isn't working for them and everything's being cancelled and we have cancelled culture but then the same people who are telling them that everything is fine and that you know everything's good are also telling them that everything's evil and we need to get rid of everything well which one is it which one are we living in and I'm, I've sort of just been complaining for the last 15 minutes without real any explanation, but I think that this sort of monologue that I'm going through right now is sort of the state of our political systems right now. The reason why I took a two-month break from speaking about anything is because what the fuck was I supposed to speak about? Every single day there was something new going on. At the same time, I still have to live right? Like, I mean, I still have exams that are coming up in two weeks that I need to revise for. And the reason why I didn't do the podcast wasn't because I wanted to step away, it was because I had so many ideas and at the same time so little ideas and I was just sort of depressed really by the reality of our world. There is so much to talk about but this constant stream of just super fast sort of media, even for someone with ADHD, I just can't keep up with it. And yet I feel bad for not doing that and again it becomes a perpetual system and I have to care about my mental health of course. But then that's hilarious because mental health has also been commodified where mental health is no longer looking at the systems that perpetuate the fact that we are a very depressed, very anxiety-ridden generation. But we can't change anything except, I don't know, a meditation app. Meditation apps are hilarious to me. Let me go on a little bit of a tangent before I carry on. Meditation apps are so fucking funny because you have to pay for them. Like my anxiety and depression stems from the fact that well, a lot of kids do, some of the fact that they can't afford things, that, you know, they're insecure about their looks and all these other things. They don't have the money to sort of afford it, everybody. And these mental health apps come and say, hey, we can help you. 
for a fee. I mean, we live in a very perplexing, unjust world. And everybody knows it's wrong, but nobody seems to know what to do. And if this isn't just sort of encapsulated beautifully in what the current Labour Party is, because what is Keir Starmer if not this bumbling mess of trying to be everything but also being nothing at the same time? It's almost hilarious, if not incredibly depressing, of what the current Labour Party is. Because under Jeremy Corbyn, yes, we had sort of this hope. We had this sort of vision to change the world. And it it captured young people, particularly because we finally saw a difference to the system that we'd been living under and clearly not working. And yet we were destroyed by that. We were destroyed by the same system that was sort of seen by everyone to not be working because the propaganda machine ironically by because that's my name um worked so well and really that's kind of what it is this propaganda machine works so well and i've sort of not really accepted that almost that well i didn't really accept that i thought that an 18 year old speaking uh, through a fucking microphone can maybe change against it but Jeremy Corbyn and Bernie Sanders and their sort of crucifixions almost in media and in mainstream culture and everything has sort of been like deeply down and I haven't really recognized until recently and experiencing this COVID-19 crisis and how Boris Johnson is just not held accountable at all. Nobody is held accountable anymore. It's just like the, the crucifixion of Jeremy Corbyn is just a metaphor for what our current politics is is that actually trying to fight the system won't change anything because we have a hollowness of liberal politics in where it's just identity bullshit and then the stupidity of the right. It's no longer about policy or anything. It's just culture war after culture war after culture war. Oh, look, this new person wrote an article about Dr. Seuss or some bullshit. What the fuck was that about? (laughs) the monarchy is obviously very racist i mean they were built on the colonialism and imperialism of the british empire but we have to accept that the african and caribbean experience isn't just about slavery but you know these african people worked very hard to change their culture what the fuck the race report is the most the race report was written by an abusive boyfriend and we are the ex that is still fawning over them god it's just like I was going to go into this episode with a very clear sort of idea about what, how fucked up our world is and what's going on with it. But just saying all of these things out loud and having this train of thought has just made me sort of realize right now as I'm speaking, the just mess that we're in. We're being told that a country built off of the backs of the empire, the colonialism, imperialism, right, is not racist? The fuck? That the Caribbean experience is not just about slavery. I mean, slavery wasn't just about pure profit making and, you know, suffering. No, they had some good things. It changed cultures. What the fuck does that mean? It's, it, there's an absurdity to it. Just a plain absurdity to it. And we're just sort of all continuing to play this game. That's why I took a step back. Because as I looked at how COVID-19 was being reacted to, 
it was no longer being reacted to with a sort of rage about the government being terrible. It, we accepted the government was terrible, almost. We just went, eh, fuck it. A vaccine's arrived. Who cares? Huh. And is, if that isn't annoying to you, if that isn't depressing to you, then maybe I'm just not like you. But it, it just doesn't didn't make any sense to me. And as I'm saying it right now, it continues to not make sense to me. It's There's no longer a teleology to the world. We are faced with meaninglessness and a lack of coherence. And the consumerism or hypermoralization to justify our existence is no longer working. Because if there's anything that lockdown has shown us, it's shown us the sort of facade we've lived in. The sort of reality that the escapism that we once had from the professional world that we previously lived in that the things outside the nine to five that we thought were worth living for are actually also just as meaningless almost and the injustices we have the ones we thought we could change through just simply ticking a ballot box are in fact far harder and far more nuanced to understand and what do we do I mean, I don't fucking know. <laughs> Our generation, young people, don't know what to do. And this is sort of me speaking on behalf of young people, I guess. Maybe some of them will disagree with me, but we don't know what to do. We have criticisms, a fuck ton of criticisms. Everybody has criticisms. But then, as Slavoj Žižek says, what happens the day after the revolution? Let's say, hypothetically speaking... <laughs> like Ben Shapiro, that we got rid of everything wrong in the world. That's begging the question, however. One, how do you get rid of everything wrong in the world without knowing how to replace it? Well, you post something on your story and you ask everyone to normalize X, Y, or Z. And maybe I'm here to just say that it's difficult living right now. That the existential crisis we're all facing, the anxiety, the depression that we're all living through, the ignorance that we have to sort of mask the world with. <laughs> Irony of masks in 2021. We sort of just live in the most contradictory, paradoxical reality and yet we don't know what to do. And I, I feel like I've said that like 50 fucking times, but th that's the feeling. This is what this podcast episode is supposed to emphasize. I feel like we've just been gaslit into accepting everything and rejecting everything. And now we're stuck in this limbo and we don't know how to get out of it. But do we? I think that one of the first things we need to do. Also, I lied about not having any answers. I do. Uh, that was just for dramatic effect. I'm about to go into the answers, by the way. <laughs> I'm hilarious. Anyway, what we need to do is take systemic critiques and stop individualizing everything. I fell into this trap, I'll admit it, that if somebody posts something on their story, that isn't going to change the world, right? It's still post on your social media, of course. It's great to see people sharing, but there's a hollowness to it. The hollowness is that it doesn't address the actual issues. We have to go to the ballot boxes. Young people have to be willing to engage 
with the politics of their time and not just stay in their echo chambers. Now, that doesn't mean accepting what the far right or the right says in the face of nuance. It means having a detailed understanding and education of how our world works. Education saved my life. That is not a hyperbolic statement. Learning has saved my life. But it wasn't just because I did it myself. It was because I had a support system that allowed me to learn that allowed me to improve. And if we want to improve the world, we have to be willing to be those support systems. Now, I'm not perfect. I definitely make mistakes. I definitely become hyper-moralistic. I definitely judge and condemn people and come off pretentious as fuck when it comes to conversations. But this is something that we all have to improve in. If we want to change the world, we can no longer have baseless dogmatic statements. We have to have truly nuanced understandings of how all these things intersect with each other. Because when we call out racism, when we call out sexism, when we call out classism, they will just turn around and say, yeah, but what about this? This isn't all about race. And then a lot of us, and this is going to be true for a lot of people my age, become bumbling idiots and don't know how to explain the nuances of it. So we have to first be educated on these things. Second of all, we have to organize and work together. There's a great thought experiment by Rousseau in which essentially he states that imagine a tribe of 10 hunts people because this is an exclusive version of Rousseau by the way (laughs) where they want to find a stag to eat and to do that they have to all wait and have 100% trust in each other to sort of capture this stag but on the other hand they could also not wait for the stag individually and just chase rabbits now the rabbits won't give them enough food for the tribe but it will feed them they have a choice then do you either abandon the whole tribe in face for your own sort of hedonistic sort of welfare or do you have trust in others and try to work together to capture the stag and we have to work together to capture the stag no matter how difficult it is It's been, I'm not going to deny the fact that I have been very sort of doomerish and pessimistic and I sort of still am and the bumbling monologue that I had during this sort of podcast episode sort of encapsulates how confused and miseducated and misunderstanding of the world maybe I am but I again am not a professor, I'm an 18 year old with opinions who wants to help the world and I feel like I've been trying this podcast to do it individually, that I've been trying to come out as this beacon, this sort of hero who leads from the front and recognizing that that's not how it works, is that change doesn't come about because Martin Luther King existed. It came about because Martin Luther King existed and he worked with those all around him. People who had impacts on the world, it's really a mischaracterization to say people because it wasn't just that one person. That one person had support systems, had people around him, had communities and organizations that they worked together with to change the world. Because unlike what we have been believed to, unlike what we have been told to believe, you alone are not going to change the world. And that is a damning indictment on my politics and my life. Because I had thought that I could individually sort of reach out and change the world and that if I changed, everyone else could change. But that's not how it works, unfortunately. That's the hollow perspective on politics. 
that is me chasing the hare instead of working with everyone else to try and capture the stag. And that's really what we have to focus on. We have to focus on that the contradictions and the pessimism that comes from these contradictions and acceptances of them from the status quo are made to make us pessimistic. They are made to sort of stop us from fighting. And these past two months, I've felt the burnout or the sort of consequences of it. But that was because I was looking at how I could do what I could do, how I could change the world. And that was sort of why I felt so useless because I didn't know what I could do, but it's not about what you alone can do. That is what is important. It's about what we can do. What can you and I do? What can we share with each other? How do we organize with one another to fight against this? Movements only work when there is consent of the people against them. And once we take consent away from the status quo, and we wish and we ask and we demand for a change, those changes happen. And yes, capitalism may seem like it is going to survive the end of the world, but it doesn't have to. Look at the past year. Yes, coronavirus has destroyed us, has made us more depressed, more anxiety-ridden, has separated us, has alienated us in a world where we are more communicative and more connected than ever. But look at how economic systems have been absolutely disregarded and changed overnight in weekends where powerful people came together and said, no, we're going to have the world like this. Everyone is going to follow lockdown rules. And in spite of all the protests, a vaccine rollout in simply a year? Yes, of course, the vaccine is only being rolled out in the West and in imperialistic countries because uh, colonialism is still preserving. But... The world changed drastically in a year. The money the money tree works. There is a money tree because Biden and the British government are able to suddenly bring out trillions, billions of economic packages that suddenly say, you don't have to go out and work. We'll pay for you to stay at home so we can stimulate the economy. As sort of everyone, the saying goes, everyone is a Keynesian in a foxhole. Where at the moment the free market seems to sort of not work anymore, the state comes in. And I guess the message that I want to relay to you guys is best written and encapsulated by Yanis Varoufakis, who in his book, A History of Capitalism, at the end of the first chapter named Why So Much Equality, he says this, It's incredibly easy to convince ourselves that the order of things, especially when it favours us, is logical, natural, and just. But at the same time, be hard on our own temptation to accept the inequalities that we today as teenagers find outrageous. But when we feel as if we're about to give in to the idea that outrageous inequality is somehow unavoidable, remember how it all begins. With babies born naked into a society that segregates those it will dress up in expensive outfits and the others who it condemns to hunger, exploitation, and misery. Maintain your outrage, but sensibly, tactically so that when the time comes we and you and i can invest in what needs to be done to make our world truly logical natural and just and i think that that's the best way to end this podcast episode because after two months of sort of wallowing in my own depression and self-pity about the uselessness of my individual endeavors to make the world better i recognized that i was 
supposed to recognize the uselessness of my individual endeavors into changing the world because I alone with a microphone cannot change the world. I need you guys to listen to me. I need us to work together and to recognize that the inequalities and injustices that seem so clearly and easily just acceptable are not the way in which the world has to work. There is no necessary teleology to the world. There is no just traditional way that we have to follow. We don't have to go to school, get a university degree and get a job and then retire at 60. The world can be very different. The history of our earth shows us that and the future can definitely show us that. It just depends on what we wish to will the world into. So that's the message that I leave you guys today. That we might be gaslit, we may have to face with contradictions and paradoxes that put us in a limbo, but that when we work together, that as cheesy as it may sound, when we come together and try to change the world and demand change, the world will change. And I might be pessimistic, but I have hope that our lazy, sheep-minded, ungrateful and idealistic generation will be able to make this world a better place. Thank you for listening to the Propaganda Machine.